You're listening to Ember Weekend, your week in recap of all things Ember. This is episode 52. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson, and we're here to keep you in the Ember Run Loop. We're broadcasting from Hashrocket HQ, and today's episode is called See You at EmberConf, which uh, is kind of true. I mean, we'll see some of you at EmberConf. Uh, we're also recording this. Uh, we're releasing this the day of EmberConf, so technically you could just turn around and maybe see us. I don't know. Yeah, we might be talking to you right now. Right now. It, it might, yeah, like in real time. Uh, it's also our uh, our anniversary. It's the first uh, first year of Ember Weekend. Uh, as of like, well, as of this recording, it was yesterday. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, Thursday. The I think it was the twenty fourth of March. The last time I think I think the last time it was right after EmberConf, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We started uh, shortly after EmberConf. We were about three or f- three months in, maybe when uh, Wicked Good rolled around, uh, which was pretty great. So. Yeah, like maybe like 10 episodes in, 15 episodes in at Wicked Good last year. Mm, memories. Memories. Um, yeah, so episode 52, though, that's one year. I'm excited. Here's to another. So the first thing we want to mention is a new stubbing library called Testable. Uh, you've probably used Sign-On in the past, uh, and um, this is uh, kind of in the same vein, but uh, it's designed to address many of the concerns around uh, friction points in Sinon's API. Uh, it's from a company called Testdouble um, out in Ohio, and they are a uh, they are a consultancy doing a lot of really cool stuff um, with Ember, Ruby, and uh, JavaScript at large. Uh, and uh, it's headed up by Justin Searles. You probably are familiar with him from his Twitter stream or from uh, one of his many uh, presentations uh, from like RailsConf, and I think he's been to a few JSConfs and stuff like that. Um, so test double is a is like I said, it's designed to kind of address some of the friction points in sign on. Uh, sign on has uh, has been around for a long time, and uh, if you're heavily into testing, you've probably used it. Uh, test double, its new API is kind of simpler. Simpler, it's more sleek. It has some really cool things around like uh, replacing global node modules. Uh, the the API is pretty simple. Uh, you get a test double function and test double object, and those are essentially your your test doubles. And uh, you're able to pass those around, and uh, you can use uh, td.when to actually set up either expectations or to kind of stub them out to return certain things. So you can pass a, uh, a testable function to testable when and say, okay, well, when you receive this argument, I want you to then return uh, you know, some other object, some known object. Or you can say, then do, execute this function, or you can say, then throw to throw. Um, and there's a whole lot more to the API. I'm obviously only covering the, the high level stuff, but it's, it's been really interesting for me to go through all these docs, uh, and, and kind of like poke around in the test level stuff. So I'm really excited to try this in my next project. Um, the documentation is one of the things I really wanted to mention here, uh, because it's, it's so well done. Uh, there's just a ton of it and it not only explains kind of how, uh, but also why. And I think that's really a powerful thing when you're coming into a new library, especially one that has as many nuances as you know a testing double a test double library, so yeah, so I definitely recommend checking out this this library, uh, and uh, I think there's also a blog post, a pretty in depth one, kind of showing how it distinguishes itself from Sign On and why you might want to use Test Double over it. And so we'll link to that and to the repo here at Hashrocket. We uh, we spend a lot of time testing. And uh, we spend a lot of time uh, tweaking our Vim configs. Uh, all of us here, I, 
I believe, uh, use Vim uh, pretty much exclusively. It's a pairing shop, so having a unified editor is uh, really important to us uh, and a uniform kind of development environment in, in general. Uh, so we've spent a lot of time tweaking our dot files and, and all this other stuff. And uh, recently, Torin uh, mentioned to me a Vim uh, workshop that a friend of his is running. Uh, and that's high praise uh, that he would recommend this because uh, he was so wonderful at Vim uh, for his EmberConf talk last year. Uh, and I believe he's doing a training this year as well. So I don't know. I, th I, I wanted to just mention it really quickly and say, hey, if you're looking to brush up on some Vim skills and get uh, and kind of level up a little bit, uh, it's I believe it's called uh, flattening the Vim learning curve. So it's really designed at bringing new people on board to Vim in a way that kind of will help them develop good patterns and good habits so that they can be much more prolific or not prolific. What's the word here? Proficient. Proficient. That's the word. Uh, with you know, with your editor, you spend so much time in your editor. I really think that having a solid workflow is uh, is very important. Uh, over the long haul, the editor being something that you don't really have to think about uh, is a really powerful thing for a developer. So I'm really excited uh, excited to, to to mention it. Right, and it seems like uh, Jared's got um, a few uh, libraries up on GitHub and things that have that revolve around uh, configuring dot files and uh, setting up plugins. So there's actually a portion of this um, class that it seems to be uh, revolving around like setting up macros, increasing your own productivity, because that's kind of part of the allure of Vim is customizing it to, to suit your development style, the types of projects you work on, you know, just personal habits. So, um, you know, everybody has a, a little bit of a different configuration. So you usually can't just drop into somebody's dot files and, and be 100% satisfied. So there's, there's always room to customize. Yeah, cut out those keystrokes, you know? So as we mentioned earlier, EmberConf is right around the corner. Uh, we're leaving, what, two days from now, getting mm -hmm. on a plane, going out to Portland. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, oh, yeah, we need to mention uh, that there's a mixer. Uh, if you are listening to this in the midday, oh, no, is it a Tuesday? It might be Tuesday. We're going to release on Monday. Uh, so the the mixer, if you are in Portland uh, and, or, and or at EmberConf, uh, you should come out to the um, community dinner and drinks uh, thing. It's hosted by basically everyone uh, ember weekend is on there on the list somewhere but uh like a lot of people a bunch of different meetups are are hosting and other consultancies ember sherpa uh, it's going to be really cool i think it'll be a lot of fun to just go out there and you know just kind of mingle and you know get to get to know some people i'd like to put some uh some uh names to faces and faces to names i don't know which direction it goes but uh it'll definitely be cool and obviously i'm excited about the talks at emberconf uh i suspect they are going to be some uh, some very difficult decisions because it's multi-track this year instead of a uh, single track. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited about EmberConf. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. The, the only concern we have, I think, is that uh, we may not have enough stickers. So partly due to the run-up for EmberConf, we've been trying to do a lot of work on the site and uh, restructure some things, make changes that we've kind of been planning on doing for basically the last year. Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the progress we've made and some of the stumbling blocks we've hit and kind of where this is all going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is going to be kind of a long section, so kind of strap in here. Uh, the first thing is kind of like where we started at. Uh, obviously, um, we knew we were going to do the podcast uh, for um, for a good period of time, um, hopefully, you know, a long time. Um, but when we first did it, we just wanted to get stuff out the door, and I kept on telling Chase, I, I'm sure he remembers this and probably hates hates that I say it, but I would say... Uh, perfect is the enemy of good. So we shipped out 
uh, Ember Weekend uh, very quickly without design, and it looked kind of ugly for for a few episodes there. But we did it. Um, and the initial rendition, we actually um, we did a lot of experimental kind of things in Ember, including using uh, Chase's own uh, template uh, template language called HBars, which is basically Haml for HTML bars. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. That's, uh, uh, that's it's a really cool. bad idea. It is cool, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like uh, Emblem. It's just kind of fell out of fashion because HTML bars is uh, just I don't know. It, like I feel like the API is a little easier because you're so familiar with HTML. Uh, so right, and that's kind of like the whole point of Ember is you know you have conventions, you have a way to do it. Just do it do it the normal way so that when anybody else comes you know to your project, they can just contribute and they don't go. Um, I've never used this weird templating language, and I don't know how this is working. And that, yeah, and that caused a lot of problems. Obviously, that was uh, really motivated because uh, we have some designers here who write templates, and they like to use Haml. So we wanted to make sure that they had a good transition experience uh, moving over to Ember. But it ended up being better to use HTML bars. Um, but yeah, so so that led us to um, kind of the the realization uh, around Wicked Good, which. Uh, as we mentioned a little earlier, it was probably like the, around the 15th, 20th episode or so, that the template solution wasn't really going to work long-term for show notes. And uh, we really needed to actually start thinking about how what data was constant um, because we ended up having to add a new template every time and it was really uh, challenging. So we decided that we would try to you know, create some structure around the things that stay the same and the things that are different. And we ended up coming with an object model that was pretty shallow and relied a little bit on uh, the fact that Ember Data will uh, take any complex object you give it to an adder and it will just serialize it. It'll call JSON stringify and uh, JSON parse. Uh, so we ended up with this kind of flat structure, but it, it ended up working and we put all this stuff into prod fixtures. We're going to mention this, uh, but uh, we live coded the, the move from uh, using from moving all the the files over to be inside of a JSON file uh, to actually using Mirage as our our in production way of getting data into into Ember data, basically bootstrapping. Right, and we did this um, partly because we wanted the content of the show to be like kind of like you would do a blog post in in a in a GitHub repo and have people be able to you know submit a PR or whatever. We wanted to be you know it to be out there public for people to be able to see the content and catch us on like mistakes or correct a link or something if something changed um, which we we did have a few of those you know people you know people come and say this is the actual link or this this um this is my screen name or, or just something something to that effect um so it did kind of work but it kind of falls in itself once that file got over what like four thousand lines or something yeah four thousand is when we started seeing some pretty annoying uh performance problems um and now it's at what six thousand or so. The data model is basically episodes, show notes, and uh, that's it, right? I mean, it's just episodes and show notes, right? Yeah, because the the basically the what we're calling now authors uh, are were just mentioned. You know, we just had we had we had nesting inside of show notes, so technically we had another resource that was embedded inside, right? Um, but those were just duplicated. You know, we could have shared them and had another file that was authors yeah, and so, referenced those by ID. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, since we've been moving over to you to a real backend, which we're going to talk about in a second, we found that. Despite the fact that we have uh, some 482 uh, different show note resources, uh, which basically means a thing we mentioned on the show that has a timestamp to a place that we talked about it. Of the 400 and something, almost 500 of those, there are only 140 authors. So 140 people are responsible for all of those things. So that's how often we have repeat uh, people. So like, for instance, I know uh, Taras, Ember Sherpa is an 
is is featured several times because of like things like Global Ember Meetup and you know he's very involved. Well, he's mentioned several times, and before we were just copying it. We were creating a brand new thing each time, and now we've realized that we really have a, a new resource there, and they should everything that references you know something that Taras has done needs to needs to reference that resource. Right, and so we 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 have come up with a. I think a better a better data model, um, but but it's interesting that we came up with it after um, letting it kind of sit for a year and really thinking about it and coming up with every every possible use case. Because I know in the beginning we had templates because we were like, well, what if uh, somebody releases some library and we really want to try it out? We want to like embed a little little piece on, on that show note that like demonstrates the library that we're talking about, and that literally never happened. Yeah. So, well, not not because we didn't want it to happen, but because it's just you know embedding that sort of thing is uh, something that we probably want to do, but it just ends up like we have to ship it. You know, like there are there are actual real constraints uh, because we have uh, you know basically a self-imposed deadline of every Monday we release. Right, and we have, and there's also, I mean, the the site works on mobile devices. You know, it's a responsive website, so if we just embedded something there, um, it may look fine on a browser, but not look good on a on a on a phone. And so we had, every time we tried to add something to, to customize those cells, um, we had to do a lot of work. So it, it means that each show note that we wanted to add a custom thing to would have its own, you know, uh, little bugs and stuff that we'd have to fix later and just eat into all our time. Uh, so it didn't really make sense. And moving over to the fixture file was one thing. We got everything moved over. We came up with that uh, around around Wicked Good last year. And then we put Mirage there. So the default scenario of Mirage gets run on boot if you if you choose if you opt into that uh, we did that in uh, production and it basically loops over those files that are just uh, exported in utils and it puts them into the mirage database and then when you know, then the rest of our app just uses uh, ember data to fetch it and the the jquery requests are all being intercepted by mirage and handled appropriately so there's the mirage config and um, Mirage performed admirably here. And this is one of the reasons why I think Chase and I are both so uh, impressed with the direction of Mirage because we've seen we've seen it kind of evolve. Because um, originally we were kind of doing everything with a REST adapter, just basically manually handling all the stuff. Uh, and since we've started switching over to JSON API, Mirage now handles a lot of stuff with the ORM layer, uh, which we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, okay. So do you want? Sorry, you could sorry. just you could have just transitioned. No, 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 I, know, I know, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, and I wanted to, I wanted to pause. So, uh, so actually, this is this brings up a really uh, good, good point. Uh, it's kind of a thing that we need to to mention because uh, it it is something that you'll experience if you do any Ember development. Uh, I've actually been responsible for doing most of the front end work. Actually. All of the all of the transi- transition work. Uh, I didn't remodel the data. I think Chase did that, uh, but I've been doing all of the the um, switches or changes on the front end side, and including the import script, which involves parsing through those prod fixtures that we mentioned earlier and putting them into uh, a back end, which I may link to a thing. I'm not super proud of it. It's very procedural and it's kind of gross uh, to put it into. Uh, the back end but yeah so the there's there's actually a back and forth here because chase has been designing this uh, back end in elixir uh, and i've been learning a little bit of elixir but chase has done the vast majority of it and it's uh you know m- a mostly compliant uh, json api uh back end uh which is like super cool so i've been able to leverage all these really amazing things that ember data have been has been doing in the front end 
and then I get to say, oh, hey, uh, I have this working with Mirage, uh, with 02X Mirage, and I've set up my associations and everything seems to work. Uh, here is my Mirage config and I've handed it to Chase and he's able to look at it and go back and forth. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of things that we're learning now about JSON API that like, uh, I mean, we knew that there were standards around it and that that would, that would help somewhat. But now knowing exactly what kinds of things you can do, it's pretty powerful. Uh, one of the things I've been really impressed with is the the ability to uh, kind of scope what includes you want from the client. So the client can pass, you know, an include param. Yeah, and then param. the back end will say, okay, you want, you know, some nested resource to be returned with that um, thing you're asking for. You know, so in our case, like with on the episode show page, we want to request an episode by ID uh, or slug. And we want the ability to say we want you to include or not include the show notes. Um, and we can actually control that from the front end uh, in a secure way, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, the include thing uh, blew my mind. Sam Selikoff actually uh, has helped me doing the transition on the on the front end. Uh, so uh, we wanted the transition to be kind of uh, atomic in each step. So I moved it from using 01x Mirage to 02x Mirage and kept everything working. And then I, uh, in the process of doing that, we realized that uh, we had to implement a REST, uh, a REST adapter, or no, a REST serializer in Mirage, Mira 02x Mirage. And that's been merged in, which is uh, super cool. Uh, Sam was super helpful in that, in that regard. And then I removed the REST API without doing any data remodeling. I removed the REST API and put the uh, JSON API adapter in there and then got everything working again. And then once I got the JSON API adapter in, I was able to basically uh, turn Mirage off and start hitting the real backend. And that process of trying to do each of these different steps in succession without, with, with each commit being kind of uh, isolated has been really cool. And one of the, one of the problems was that we had to reseed the data. So once we did the remo, oh, and then I did the remodeling of the data, uh, the remodeling of the data is something that Chase can talk about, um, because he actually came up with like the different, uh, things that we needed. But when we remodeled the data, uh, the default scenario that, as we mentioned before, is how we were seeding Ember data. Uh, on initial load had to be altered. And the new object structure ended up being uh, a little bit more uh, intensive, both memory and just overall performance. We had to loop over show notes and loop over individual objects inside show notes. And uh, so it actually increased the load time considerably because uh, now we're kind of running into the bottlenecks around having a rather complex object graph. And now we're, now we're running into the edges of where Mirage in production is feasible. Right. And that's mostly because we went from having like 400 objects plus 50 episodes to being like, okay, well now we have, um, a show note object, you know, like resource and we have a resource resource and we have a author or, or a person, um, we have various other things. We actually have to add a couple more. Um, and once you start doing that, the, the number of things that Mirage was having to create on startup were, you know, kind of, we're kind of just choking the system. So, um, obviously you know, this is not something we're going to push, but it's, you know, highlighted the fact that we were on the edge of being forced to move to a real backend anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of this, uh, just as an aside that I'm just going to throw away as a comment, a lot of this is being driven by the fact that we want to pull fastboot over and there are some things that we have to do, including have a backend in order for us to do that. So uh, that's kind of neither here nor there, but that's that's part of it. But this, this problem uh, has been apparent since we hit about 4,000 show notes or 4,000 line on the show note file. 
Uh, and it's it's basically meant that our our load times went from being really really fast to you know taking a second. And now when I switched it over to the new remodeled data, noticed <laughs> rather unfortunately I kept on thinking it was Chrome, uh, but our load time went from being about a second to being about eighteen seconds. <laughs> and that's uh, that's kind of absurd. Yeah, and one of the one of the really interesting things that, that hit us um, was that we realized that even though on the index page for episodes we weren't returning uh, included uh, show notes for each one of those, we realized that in order for the the relationships to still exist, so that Ember knows what show notes exist for an episode, um, there is a in JSON API there's a relationships section for each episode. And so if you have 400 and some odd, you know, show notes, there's actually, you know, like a little, and not just an ID, but like a little, a little uh, JSON object in there that is representing the relationship for every one of them, regardless of whether you asked for them. Um, and since our show notes are really just a timestamp plus that, it was like almost like every, you know, there was no way getting around having to touch each one of those. Um, so it's interesting just seeing that JSON API, there are, there are some considerations being being made now. If you have like some record that has, you know, uh, you know, twenty thousand relationships with something else, um, you can't even return the relationships of that um, because that alone will just bog down the query. Yeah, yeah, that was an, that was a kind of an interesting insight that I was definitely not expecting. Yeah, because we uh, we noticed at Mirage that even on the index page was was having to spend some time looking at the uh, like because we actually use the you know like the debugging tools to see what was being uh, called. And we were, we were noticing that the, there was a lot of CPU cycles being spent on um, that one section of serializing the the actual, you know, because JSON API is a pretty complex structure. It's not as simple as, you know, the old style, you know, just um, active model kind of style um, where you have like an array of IDs. That's pretty simple. That's like almost the simplest you can get. Well, now, now they're much more complex documents. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, and oh, speaking of complex documents, finding out how to uh, to do uh, creates and updates with uh, complex relationships being included has been really challenging, especially in Elixir. But uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of an aside. It was very challenging for me to kind of find out exactly like where and what you can send and how you have to interact with some some of the more uh, intricate uh, JSON API actions. So one of the really cool things about this is that we're splitting up the work. Um, and kind of not pairing on it unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, and so John's tackling all of the, you know, front end concerns, like the, you know, moving over to the JSON API on the front end, uh, migrating all the Mirage stuff. Um, in the meantime, I've been working on all the, the backend stuff, which is all the Elixir API things. Um, and you know, that's pretty nice cause, uh, Elixir is complicated. Um, it's similar enough to, to, you know, Ruby and stuff and Phoenix is similar enough to rails that. Um, you can do it, but it's kind of difficult for two people to do it at once uh, when when you know you don't really know what you're doing. So uh, n- we've started now integrating this work where I have you know opinion of what of what the back end is going to look like and what I think the front end would look like, and then uh, John's got his uh, opinion of what the front end's looking like, and we're having to now mesh up our ideas, even though we've agreed maybe on on the on the what the what the structure is going to look like. Something very simple like. Uh, you know, uh, what thing gets included on what page or what things get kind of like sideloaded, um, like in, end up like biting you where you, you don't realize something's a problem until you actually go to do that integration and you realize nothing works. Um, but one of the, something that was really interesting is that there are a lot of times where because of JSON API's kind of like really structured format, there are ways to do things. There are multiple ways to do things. 
So you can um, just flip a flag and say, well, you know what, we don't have something implemented on the back end yet. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to flip this flag and now every uh, show note will get requested one at a time. But as soon as the back end implements this one cool feature, uh, now they'll all get uh, coalesced into one one return. And so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed that, especially like how flexible it is. Yeah, and it's cool because um, you know, you're able to just verify with Mirage because Mirage supports out of the box that you can flip it on and everything works in the front end, and that Mirage simulates it, so you know that JSON API, you know, does support that in that in the in the fashion that you've implemented it. So all I have to do now on the back end is implement that, um, and you can just flip the flag and it'll work. And there's no question; we don't have to sit and discuss. Well, what what's the best way to do it? Because um, the way you do it, I think, is saying like filter. Uh, ID and then you give a comma separate list of IDs. It's already figured out. We don't have to argue about it. We don't have to, you know, have some committee, you know, on it. It's just going to be this way because there is a standard, yeah. and that's really cool. Yeah, having having the standard to just point to and reference, and even if we're working uh, completely separately, we're both looking at the same JSONAPI.org uh, to verify that our our things are correct. Um, and Mirage uh, Mirage has been this tool that we've been able to constantly. I've been able to constantly um, work against. And I know that I have kind of built-in checks there because that's also uh, very compliant with the JSON API spec. Uh, so I'm 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 really pleased with the the specification JSON API. Right. Yeah. We haven't dug into any of the um, you know paging or metadata stuff yet, but uh, I, I have a feeling that stuff's gonna be really nice to mess with, and, and we're gonna need that pretty soon because at some point we're gonna have to start paging just the episodes that show up or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So um, and hopefully like when the yeah, with the when the blog comes in, the blog posts themselves probably we don't want to load every blog post, so you know we'll have to page something. So there's a lot more to the spec that we still have to learn. So it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's been it's been a really great learning experience, and obviously all this is open source. So if any of this stuff is uh you know perking your ears up, uh, you are more than welcome to come in there, ask us questions, go uh, file issues or whatever. Um, we will. Uh, definitely make sure that we are very active and engaged there. So if you have any questions, uh, feel f- uh, feel free. Uh, also, if you're interested in learning Elixir, uh, Chase has done a wonderful job of trying to make sure that all of his endpoints are tested um, in a way that I've been able to actually go in there and look directly at the, the expected response for, say, like a creator update, and then make sure that my adapter is sending that exact document. So I just know it'll work. Like I know his test pass. I know I'm sending the right stuff. I know it works. Uh, it's been really fun to work that way. It's not quite the the design by contract stuff that um, that Sam mentioned with the uh, what's that document called? I think it's called uh, consumer driven contracts. Yeah, it's not it's not quite that, but um, but definitely it's been a it's been a really uh, good experience to to pull these things together and just have all those tests there. So if you're looking to to learn Elixir, um, specifically Phoenix. Um, it might might be a really good place to look. I know that there are, there are not many examples of how to do a JSON API that are open source right now uh, in Elixir, so it's definitely a good resource. Right, and there's a there's a full CRUD cycle, uh, so you can you can see uh, all of the ways that things could be done. Probably not the best because, like I said, uh, just learning this. So um, any any feedback was would also be welcome. But uh, just just know that the especially the tests they're very very verbose. Um, specifically because of what John was saying, I wanted him to be able to look at the files and see exactly what the request would be and exactly what the response would be. Um, there have been some efforts in some libraries to um, not have to repeat all that every time you do a test, but it was actually intentional um, so that you could clearly see what was going in and out of the system. Um, but there, there are, you know, if, if, if you actually end up using this for like a very complicated app, 
you'd probably want to make some abstractions around there. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's been it's been a really good learning experience. We're hoping to have this delivered by EmberConf so you guys can actually look at it and actually kind of uh, fiddle around with it. Um, oh but- yeah the the best the best thing is that this the website will be blazingly fast again. Yeah, much like, faster. Uh, yeah. We uh, when we first started this, I was uh, I was showing John um, some of the responses from seeded data. So this was actually hitting the database, returning a nested resource uh, from test data that I was putting together. Um, and he's like, "What's that little symbol right there?" <laughs> and I was like, that's the micro symbol. That's yeah. microseconds. Yeah, yeah. That um, that was that was wild. And yeah, oh, and, and since then, since I've been seeding the data, I've been getting like four millisecond creates uh, for the, which means that it, it does a full authentication and also inserts into the database and returns in four milliseconds, which has been pretty cool. Right. And these and these aren't even the most efficient queries. They're um, like when we uh, when we do nested resources, uh, we have to make. I don't know, like two, two or three different queries to, you know, to create one record and then do, a, you know, two other inserts into a join table. Um, that's all happening in a transaction and everything, but it's still, you know, it's multiple, um, multiple creates. Um, sometimes there's actually um, some N plus one queries and st- things going on, but they're so fast that it's like, I really don't want to spend the time trying to figure out how to make those optimized when that's not really the bottleneck. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's definitely an impressive thing. Uh, I've been, I've been really uh, pleased, especially uh, considering, I'm coming from a Rails backend, and this is a different paradigm. It's functional, not object oriented. Uh, it's it's been it's been cool to see like just I don't know like it, it still feels kind of familiar. I guess is what I'm getting at, uh, which which feels good. Yeah. So so keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Should be done really soon. Yeah. Hope hopefully it'll be done by the time you listen to this. Uh, that would be ideal. If you go to the website and you see a network request, it means it's done because as of right now, uh, Mirage intercepts all of those. So. Uh, if you see it and you see a network request, it's it's up. Um, okay, and then okay, so I also want to spend maybe five minutes talking about the kind of the goals. Uh, so we made all these changes. A lot of this was just to to learn. A lot of it was for performance, and a lot of it was um, just just for fun, honestly. Um, but we do have goals, like long term goals. Uh, one of them is to have a uh, a self hosted blog. Uh, so a while ago, we started blogging to TIL, and then we wrote this kind of neat uh, adapter layer that would go and fetch it and parse it and t- put it into Ember Data as a as a blog post. Um, but that's going to cause some problems with Fastboot, so uh, so that's not uh, a very feasible thing long term. But it, it was it was great, and uh, Jake Worth worked worked with us on that, getting uh, getting TIL information and some things like that. Uh, he he's the one who who actually wrote TIL. Um, so yeah, so one of the goals is going to be self-hosted blog. Um, and in that blog, we want to use mobile doc, which is something that we discussed with, uh, Matthew Beal, um, on a modern web podcast, uh, which, uh, we can link to, um, and the potential for, uh, guest blogs as well so that we could have people, you know, friends of the show who say, Oh, Hey, here's a neat trick. It'd be really nice if we could say, okay, Hey, just blog it here. And, uh, we'll make sure to mention on the show. Uh, we could do like self-references so we can say inside of the blog post, we could say, oh, it's mentioned that here's a timestamp and you can click that button and it would start playing in the player. Um, so that's a pretty cool idea. Right. And then another part of that that kind of ties into it is that now we have to have authentication. So we, if we want to have some kind of admin panel, um, we have to do some work with uh, basically having multiple Ember apps. Uh, we we kind of made the choice to to do that to keep the uh, this Ember application simple um, and and also kind of just to, you know, uh, try this uh, idea of having multiple Ember apps hitting the same API. 
um, you know, maintained separately um, and, and just see how, how that's going to work. So um, we've already done some examples and things with OAuth and Ember. So pretty confident in all that. And actually all the OAuth stuff's already working in the, the backend. That was actually really simple. So um, that's going to give us the ability to have uh, administrator roles and guest roles and things like that. So looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I, I you know, I, 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 it makes me think now that we should probably also look into engines because that might be a potential solution where we could say, oh, when, when I'm local, I want to use the admin panel and still have it be part of the repo. But yeah, separate repos still is kind of like what I'm thinking right now. But yeah, that's, there's, there's a lot there in the admin panel um, because we want it to be a fun experience for us to uh, do the notes. So we've been doing notes on a Google doc and then we spend time on Monday uh, morning and we um, pull them into actual, the show note JSON and then that gets pushed out. Um, and that's actually really time consuming. So a lot of the admin panel's goal is going to be to uh, make that uh, much faster process for us. Uh, so that's been, yeah, that's that's definitely up there on the goals. Uh, and then obviously uh, the last thing uh, that we want to mention is that we definitely want to ex extract some add-ons, um, including the audio player, which um, is kind of gnarly, <laughs> but it's been really great. Uh, it's the thing at the very bottom where, uh, you know, you press play, spacebar, and it'll play. You can do a playhead drag and a few other things. And it's been really fun to pull together, but it's really like kind of embedded. It's baked into the system. And it'd be really nice to pull that out into an add-on so that it can be used by other people. And also so that we um, maybe can pull something out of this that's useful to other people. Right. And, and that way, um, I think if it was used by more more people, um, there might be a little bit more work done on it. Because I know people have requested things like, um, you know, double speed playback or volume control. and I'm raising uh, my hand. I was the one who ref who requested double speed playback. Right. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of requests for things. And there's a lot of potential um, for a player like that. And I think if more people had the ability to, you know, just put in their app and use and play anything, um, there might be some more work done on it. Um, but the way it is right now, it's kind of hard to work on. Uh, I think, I mean, it's using a service, so it's, it's relatively modern, but it, it was, it's done kind of wrapping this native audio control, um, that's not actually, uh, embedded in the document anywhere. It's just like virtual. Um, so I don't know, this may be another good place to, to try out an engine, but, but we'll see. Yeah. But I mean, I'm really excited about that. And there's probably other, other little aspects of our system that, um, are probably reusable elsewhere, but. Um, all in all, you know, this is really a, a place for us to kind of experiment and really try to make sure that we kind of stay on on top of the latest and greatest uh, Ember stuff. So it's been really fun. And, you know, I, I don't know if if all of this is necessary for a podcast um, because we could just use Squarespace, but I think it's been really fun to really kind of make sure that Ember Weekend has, you know, Ember at its core, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, d I really feel like... Uh... That's where most of my uh, love goes towards is, the, you know, the site and, you know, the, the ability to, you know, funnel a bunch of the, the stuff we're learning and that we're talking about and the, that, that people tell us about and have like a central project we can go to. Because in a, at a consultancy, we were rarely on a project for more than six months. So even if that is an Ember app, um, six months later, you're on a different project. Sometimes, actually, most of the time, less than that. Um, so it's, it's hard to be able to pull in the latest and greatest into anything. So having a long running personal project that we can always feel free to just make, you know, play around with, um, has been really, uh, a good experience. Yeah. Well, and learning about the upgrade process in Ember land and experiencing the pain of, you know, uh, migrating from, I, I want to say this started like Ember CLI 035 or something like that and pushing it all the way to 24 and 
you know, learning, learning where the, the pain points are has been really helpful. Um, and I've been able to pull a lot of that experience of upgrading Ember Weekend over into the consulting side too, where we get a lot of, you know, uh, older Ember apps and they need to be upgraded. And I'm like, oh yeah, I ran into this problem, you know, doing Ember Weekend like three days ago, or, oh, we need to stub this acceptance test. I, here's an example from Ember Weekend. And uh, it's been, it's been pretty fun. So I just want to thank you, the listener for this past year. It's been great. I've learned a lot. I think uh, Chase and I have uh, had a really good time putting all this together uh, over the past year. And um, yeah, just wanted to say thanks. I, this has been great. It's been great learning from y'all. And I, I'm looking forward to the next year and I'm looking forward to this EmberConf. I'll see you there. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, see you at EmberConf. And uh, like John said, don't be afraid to come up and ask us some questions. Uh, let us know you uh, you know liked an episode or uh, something you want us to talk about or or just anything. I mean, you know, we just, we, we did this because we wanted to get more involved with the community. And so, you know, just you know, come up and, and say hi if you see us. Thanks for listening to Ember Weekend. If you'd like to follow along, visit us at emberweekend.com. Or you can find us at Ember Weekend, all one word, on Twitter or subscribe via RSS. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you at EmberConf.